0: Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Yeah, A warm welcome would be good because I am freezing. All right? Everyone's got their coffee like this. They're like, it's so cold. It's so cold. As, uh, as Josh said, thanks for the nice welcome. Uh, it is great to be with you guys. Uh, this is kind of like coming home to family. I know a lot, of, uh, a lot of friends that are here and a lot of family that is here, uh, and it is uh, super. Uh, I'm super glad to be here with you guys. It's always a, a risky thing when a pastor gives up a pulpit to somebody else, so I, I don't take that lightly, and uh, I am really excited that, uh, that Dave let me be here. Where's my rowdy group today? Just curious. That's... Right there. This is my rowdy group. That is, that's fantastic. I love that. Uh, it's going to be a, a really good morning. And this is the part of the morning where I'd like to dismiss my family who doesn't want to be here. Like Shane, you can now go. So it's fine. I told you I'd give you an opportunity, and that's your one opportunity here. Um, but I, I am really glad to be with you guys this morning. I think we have something uh, pretty, uh, pretty unique. I, I want to just warn you that you will probably be uh, incredibly underwhelmed and yet uh, hopefully challenged by this morning's message, and it should be really good. Uh, So if you guys have your Bible with me, we're just going to kind of get a launch point where we're going to go. You can turn with me to John chapter 5. We're going to start in verses 2 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, no big deal. You can follow along on the Sky Bible behind me here. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, though, I just want to strongly encourage you to head to the closest Holiday Inn and steal yourself a Gideon, okay? So, second you're on the left, go ahead, they're free. It's the only time a pastor can tell you to steal, I'm pretty sure, is if you're stealing God's word. So, uh, here we go. Uh, John, chapter 5. One of my favorite stories here. It says, Now there in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, both blind, lame, And paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. It's a long time. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. At once this man was healed. He took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said this to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, because there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards, though, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Now sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. That man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am also working. Let's pray. God, we thank you just for uh, a beautiful, frigid morning here. Uh, It is cold, so warm this place up. But we thank you for... Uh, just the opportunity to come together with people who love you, people who are discovering who you are and who you can be in their life. So, God, we just ask that um, these words just won't be my words coming out of my mouth, but they will just be loud and clear and that people can find the truth in your word. Thank you for your word that just inspires us. Uh, Thank you for giving it to us to be a guide uh, in our life that we live. And, And I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning in your name. Amen. Amen. Go Cubs, right? Come on. You can't boo the Cubs. All right. Where's my guy wearing the Cubs? There he is, right back there. That is a sweet jacket. I like that a lot. You look good, buddy. So. This is, this is our year. So says back to the future. So it's going to be really good. Hey, I want to interrupt our regularly scheduled message at this point in time for a little interaction, okay? Uh, and your spiritual development will depend on how well you do with this interaction. So on your, pe- on your uh, chair, possibly under your chair, it looks like on your chair, there's a white sheet of paper. Go ahead and grab that. Make as much noise with it as you possibly can right now, okay? Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's great. It's a good sound. So here's what we're going to do. I want you guys to make the single best paper airplane you could possibly make, okay? This is the greatest church activity you will probably ever do collectively. You've probably been told most of your life to not make paper airplanes, but that's what I want you to do. And trust me, Jesus is only going to speak to you if you participate in this, okay? So make a great paper airplane. Once you have your paper airplane, I just want you to kind of hold it up in the air so that I can see everyone is doing this. All right, go ahead. It's okay. We're going to fly... Paper airplanes, super spiritual stuff happening here. This is great because some of you guys are like looking over to your neighbor like you don't know how to make a paper airplane. All right, that's, that's really cool. Maybe I should have put an instructional video on the screen, okay? So go ahead, we'll give you a few more seconds here. Make the best one that you can. All right, how are we doing everybody? If you got that paper airplane, okay, go ahead. We're going to make history here. All right, there's only a few hands in the air, which means you guys are really struggling. Okay, there we go. They're coming now. There we go. <laughs> That's a fan. That will not fly, okay? <laughs> All right, I'll give you guys about 15 more seconds for all of you guys, you're making like crazy airplanes. I'm just saying paper airplane, here we go. All right, hold them up if you got them. All right, this is gonna be fantastic. Okay, we're gonna make history here at Connect Church. We are going to fly all of our paper airplanes on three. Here we go, in three, two, one. <laughs> Somebody lost an eye, that is amazing. That is amazing, well done. Well done, which is really sad because this is probably the only part of my message that you will remember today, so good job. What did you guys do in church? We flew paper airplanes, all right, so good job. Thank you for that. How many of you guys, uh, wow, some of these made really far, nice job. Uh, How many of you guys like flying? Anybody like flying? Uh, I got to be really honest with you, I don't. Uh, Let me explain. Um, I don't actually mind once you're in the air and you're actually flying flying. Uh, I don't actually mind when you get to the destination. But everything before that, I really could, I don't want to be involved in. I don't like it. It's kind of like this horrible social experiment gone wrong. I mean, the boarding process alone in today's airlines is excruciating. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You guys kind of follow me here? It's amazing to me when we fly how packed we get right in front of the gate. You guys watch this, you know what I'm saying? It's like 30 minutes before your flight takes off and everybody and their mom wants to get as close as they can to this little small gate. Like they have to get there, because if they're not there 30 minutes before they open the gate, you're not going to fly. And everyone's there and they're bumping shoulders and it's just like, you know, it's like, why? Why do we do this as people? I don't know, it's crazy. But have you seen it, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's this weird like social experiment. So recently, uh, my church up in the Chicagoland area, we have partnered alongside of a village in Haiti. It's called Colider, and uh, we take several trips there a year, and uh, my most recent trip when we were there, I had something happen to me when we were at our connecting flight in Miami that I had never heard. However, I've come to learn this is actually fairly common. I just didn't know this, is while we were sitting there waiting in an international flight, which always smells really weird. Uh, We're sitting there in our international flight. We're waiting to be kind of for our time to go. And all of a sudden, the person at the very front of the gate makes a very bold statement. They go, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. I'm like, yes. What? That's me, right? Yes. They're like, "Um, we would like to inform you that our, our flight is at capacity. And we need to make some room for some of our passengers. And I'm going, uh, no, <laughs> not, not happening today. So this is what they do. She says, I would like to offer you a one-night free stay in Miami with a $200 food voucher if you would like to stay here and give up your seat to somebody else. Now, you got to understand, this is pretty interesting. My wife and I, we have a lot of kids, so it's not very often that we get a free vacation without our kids. So I'm sitting here going, do I do the will of God or do I stay in Miami? Obviously, we chose to go do the will of God, and we went on our trip. But I'm sitting here, I'm going, is this a real thing? Like, people offer you money just for your seat. So obviously, this creates a little bit of panic at that front of that gate where everybody is pounding themselves right into the front here 30 minutes before your plane goes off. And here's why. It's not so much that you're worried about losing the seat that you've already paid for, But because nowadays airlines like to charge you, say, somewhere in the neighborhood of $200 just so your bags fly under the plane, right? Everybody now travels with a carry-on. So when they hear the word a capacity flight, they're not worried about losing their seat. They're worried about losing their spot for their luggage because you know if the airlines gets a hold of it, it's gone, right? So we start this little anxious, anxiety kind of panic at the front of our line. Uh, Airlines do a fantastic job, though, of when this kind of happens. They do a really good job of honoring our men and women who have served in our country, in our military. They allow them to board first, right? And I think that's a great thing. I think we should honor them as often as we possibly can. Yeah. So we, we put them on the plane. And then soon after that, we have the, um, right, the families with small children get to get on the plane. Gone are the days where I think this is really cool. Now I just think it's annoying. I'm like, come on, come on, you're not really, they're not that young. You know, I'm like, you need to sit back down. Furthermore, does anybody else besides me actually think that it's really interesting that we put people who are trained to kill and to handle hostile environments on a plane And then we put a whole bunch of hostile little environments on the plane. Anybody else? I'm like, this is so weird to me. Like, this is a bad idea. This is, it's going to go wrong. Trust me. So parents with small kids, they load. But then the real pecking order begins, right? This is where the chips fall, And we get to see who has, you know, the dollars, so to speak. And I just got to tell you, I'm not going to be hating on anybody who flies for a class. But for the next 30 seconds, it might sound like I'm hating on people who fly in first class. So everyone's kind of packed up there. Uh, Myself, I like to hang back just a little bit. I don't like to just sit in there with everybody. Um, I'm one of those people that if I see somebody sneeze in a large group and I see the sneeze particles come out of their mouth, I feel like if I breathe, I'm breathing in their virus. Do you know what I'm talking about? So I like to just kind of hang back and let the crowd go forward. So I see all the first class people as they begin to load first class and priority members. They go up the front, you know, they get their little cool badges out like they have it with them all the time in some leather little folder. They're like, I'm a priority boarding member, excuse me, with their little wheeled bags and their shoulder bags. And they're like, come wheeling in there with nothing at all. And they move all the way through the front of the line. Now, I'm reminded by our group at this point in time, that uh, this is a capacity flight and i have a lot of carry-ons with me i carry all of our camera gear for these trips like you need to go so i at that point follow the first class members although i was not first class i follow them and i start in the socially awkward experiment of acting like i am somebody that i'm not a big deal so i work my way through there what you're probably wondering this right now what in the world does boarding an airplane and john chapter 5 have to do with each other right Absolutely nothing. I just had to get that off my chest because it's been really I'm just kidding. Obviously, there is going to be a very small parallel, and uh, I want to get to that this morning together. So we're going to look at this. Tell me, do you, when you read the Bible, um, specifically passages like this, do you begin to um, romanticize or uh, visualize in your mind what these scenes are? possibly look like. I mean, when we read passages about an unknown people group or an unknown ancient land with unknown kind of these ancient writings, I mean, I think we begin to idolize and think about what this would actually look like. So when we read something in John chapter 5, like the pool of Bethesda, I mean, it just sounds so soothing and so cool to say. Go ahead, everybody try it one time. Say Bethesda. See, you guys are good. You're good listeners, especially the students over here. I appreciate that. I mean, the pool of Bethesda, it just sounds so, so beautiful, so romantic. I I see this pool in my mind as something with like these just this great aquamarine kind of water. It has to been like crystal clear, like something you'd see in the Caribbean. I'm like, ooh, I want to go there to the, the pool of Bethesda. And then I remember to myself, this is Middle East Jerusalem. So there's probably this beautiful white sandscape everywhere with these awesome little palm trees, probably just curled over the edge of the pool with their little, is it fronds? Is that what they're called? The little, the little leaves dipping down into the water. And it's got to just be beautiful and so warm at the pool of Bethesda. And then there's this little sheep gate. I don't know what a sheep gate is, but it sounds really cute. And it's right there too. So there's the sheep gate that's there. And then there's all these people who are there. And these people are there because they're not well. I'm like, oh, that's not good. But they're there because they're going to get better. I'm like, oh so great. It's like a miracle pool. This is awesome. They're there at the miracle pool, and it's beautiful, and they're going to be healed, and there has to be somebody there who's like the administrator, right? Someone who's like watching everyone come to the pool of Bethesda, and they're like, hi, welcome, sir. Here's your ticket number. Go ahead and get in line, and go ahead and just stand with everybody else over here, and it's got to just be this great thing, and everyone's kind. Everyone's compassionate, because everyone knows they're going to get their opportunity to get into the pool of Bethesda. I'm sure that there was just, everyone was just loving, and as every day when the angel came down, he stirred the water. And then the guy called the number. And he's like, you, sir, you're number 37. And he walks down and he's healed. And everybody claps. Yes. And they clap for, yeah, thank you. They clap for the guy because he just got healed, even though they're going to be waiting there for a really long time until it's their turn. But you know what? No one cares because everyone is so kind and so compassionate. And they're waiting their turn at the pool of Bethesda. No! No! That's not not what's happening at all. That's not not how this looks. That's not how this feels. But that's what our minds do when we read ancient texts like this. It's just not like that. We We can't idealize this moment and think about how perfect it could be. We can't forget how raw and how real this scene actually is. This is a every man for himself. This is total mayhem. Everyone is on edge. Everyone is anxious. No one is keeping their composure because they aren't just jockeying for a position to keep their carry on. They're competing so that their life will be forever changed. This is no calm situation. If I could just get to the pool before the next guy, then maybe my legs will be fine and I'll be able to walk my daughter down the aisle. I don't know the conversations that are being had. Maybe some guy's sitting there and he goes, if I could just get to the pool before so-and-so, maybe my eyes will be healed and I can see for the very first time. I mean, can you imagine what's going on at the pool of Bethesda? This is not a pretty scene. There is no organization. There are no beautiful, clear waters. No hot, beautiful white sand and palm trees, this is total chaos. If I can be direct, can you imagine the stench of hundreds if not thousands of people gathered in a hot desert waiting around the edge of a single pool with incurable diseases? The anger, the anxiety, the competition that arises daily because only the first person to get in the pool is the one who will be healed. Let's speak very clear here this morning, is that there is nobody going to just kick it at the pool of Bethesda. This isn't your kind of pool that we wait in lines to go hang out at. But the Bible tells us that Jesus comes across this calamitous setting. And for whatever reason, the camera begins to just zero in on one individual. One individual amongst hundreds, possibly thousands, the word multitudes are used. But the camera zooms in and I see this as it just kind of pans in from the ground all the way to seeing our person uh, way in the back of all these thousands of people and Jesus makes eye contact with this one man. We don't know who he is. We don't know his name. In fact, we never get to know his name, but we know that he's been in this chaotic, stressful environment for 38 years. 38 years, he's been doing absolutely everything he can Everything within his own power to win the race to the pool. Jesus walks up and approaches our man and he asks him a very odd question. Embrace yourself because this is not the only odd statement that Jesus will make in this story. But he approaches our guy and he says, Excuse me, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Let me just ask us, Connect Church, this morning. Have you ever thought to yourself, "I I just want to be well? I want it to be well with my soul. I want to just feel well. I want things just to feel right again. I want things to be good. Have you ever thought to yourself, I just want things to be well? Imagine yourself in this man's position, as most of you probably are, which seems like you've been scratching and clawing for most of your life just to get to the top and to feel like you have a sense of purpose again, doing everything you can to, to be well in life. And this mystery man who we know as Jesus walks up onto the scene and asks the individual, do you want to be made well? By this time, if it was me, I probably honestly would have been just a little bit offended. Excuse me? Does it it look like my situation is okay? Does it look like I want to be made well? Of course I want to be made well. I've been here for a long time. I, I probably would be just a little bit offended at that statement. But look at what this guy does. He begins to tell his story. Isn't it interesting how every one of us in this room we have a story as to why we, why we are where we are today? And some of that may very, be very valid, and I'm not discrediting that at all. But anything that we feel like we're trying to get ahead in life and we're just trying to make it the very best that we can, we all have a story as to why we are here or why we can't get ahead. He says to him, um, Do I want to be healed? Well, Yes, but do you know what I've been through? I don't have anybody here that cares about me enough to help me, to assist me. There's no one here to to get me ahead. Do you know how close that I've come so many times to being healed? Every time somebody else just, just barely beats me down to the edge of the pool and their lives are changed and I just watch how things get drastically better for them. I think possibly what our individual is doing, if I could be honest, I think might just be a little sneaky. I think this is just a little sneaky and it kind of shows our human condition maybe just a bit. Is it perhaps what he's saying is, sir, I don't have anybody, but maybe you'll be that guy for me. Maybe, Maybe you'll help me get down to the pool. Interestingly enough in this man's context is that he needs whoever this man is to get him down to the pool. Because to him, the pool has all the answers to his life's problems. What he doesn't know is that the person he is talking to is Jesus, and him, the answer is in the pool, but the real answer is in the person. It's amazing to think about the multitudes of people gathered around this, dare I say, pathetic little pool, limited in its resources limited in in what it can do for individuals, but there is a person, a person whose name is Jesus, who is walking amongst them, whose resources are limitless, whose power is limitless, and is ready to walk into our messy lives and to make things drastically different for each and every one of us. Yes, see, I see this scene, and I don't think it's much different than how we live our lives today. I don't think it's much different than how we live each and every one of our lives today. Doing everything that we possibly can with the the world's resources to feel good about where we are. To feel like our lives are doing well. I don't think it's much different. I really don't. I think it might be a little little outside, but we look at the context of what's happening. We all do everything that we can, scratch and claw our way to the top. Do everything just so that we feel like life is good. And the world says, hey, this is what you do. You get in line, you wait your turn, and when it's right, things will be made well. I don't think it's all that much different. Life is full of opportunities, and what happens is you end up living this whole idea that, uh, you know, how, how are you doing? I, I'm doing fine. I'm doing, I'm doing okay. I'm just going to wait here and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride this out because sooner or later, I'm gonna, it's going to be okay. I know it if I can just wait, if I can just get to the pool, have my moment. I believe this represents most of our view in life, whether we want to admit it or not, the way that we pursue the world's resources to make us feel like life is good. Can you imagine living like that and the, the jockeying and the wrestling for position just to get ahead, how that must feel every day? And of course, when someone else actually beats you to the edge of the pool, they've now stolen what was rightfully yours, right? And we've, we've lived under this before. I, I would have had that job I probably, that business deal probably would have been mine, but that one person that we hired came in and they took it from me. And now I'm here just trying to make it by. I don't have those kind of connections. I don't have those privileges. I don't have that person to help me in life. I don't have that mom and dad to pay for everything like so-and-so does. I don't have all these options like they do. I'll just never catch my break, but I guess that that's life. Some of those statements may be valid, and I don't want to take that away from you, but if you allow yourself to live under that paradigm, you will rob yourself of the one and only life that you've been given to live. And that's a sad way to live. So Jesus comes in, steps into this messy scene, this life that we all live, and he he offers to change the entire order of how we view being well. He says, sir, you don't need the pool. You just need me. Pretty crazy, right? This next statement that Jesus makes in this story is so in line with uh, our compassionate, caring Jesus. This is sarcasm, so brace yourself. As he walks over to him after he says this question, and what's he say to him? Get up. Right? Right? Like, wow, thanks for that one, Jesus. That's super kind of you, okay? Like, there wasn't really a whole lot of niceness that was going on with that. He just says, do you want to be made well? Get up. I think sometimes we know exactly what we're supposed to do, but we lack the strength to actually get up. I think sometimes it's so clear what Jesus is guiding and asking us to do, but we lack the physical strength to actually just get up. So he tells Our mystery guy, he says, hey, I want you to get up. This is probably the part where if I was this man who'd been sitting there for 38 years, I would have lost it. (laughs) Excuse me, Captain Obvious. I've been here for a really long time. I know the order of things. I know how this works. You don't just get up. You have to wait your turn. You don't just get up one day and everything is fine. That's not how that works. I've been here for almost four decades now. I think I know, okay? I don't know who you are, but I know how this works and you don't just just get up. You don't do it. No, not going to do it. Says, "Okay, I, I just need you to just to get up. Be honest here. Um, have you ever had one of those one of those weeks? Maybe one of those months? Perhaps one of those years where, if we're being honest with ourselves, everything is not awesome. Everything's not awesome. Sorry, it's just my head. It's doing weird things right now. Okay, everything is just not awesome." And yet you have someone really close to you who's like, hey, I know this is really tough for you right now, but you know what you gotta do? You just gotta, just gotta wait, wait on God and just trust God and everything's gonna be okay. And you're like, you know what? I trust so God that I'm gonna punch you in the face right now. How about that, okay? That's, that's how much I trust God. And you're like, "Like, no, you don't, just, you don't just get up. Like they're telling you like the things that you're going through aren't really that important and they're not really that challenging. And to you, it's very challenging. And you're like, I can't just get up. That's not what you do. Like, it's just no big deal. This is a a powerful concept that I need us to grab here this morning, Connect. In this statement, Jesus is showing us that he has the power over your present conditions and circumstances. Jesus, whether you know it or not, has the power over your present conditions and your circumstances. How cool is that? Anybody think that's cool besides me? That's pretty awesome. I love the golf clap. I appreciate it. Jesus has the power over your present conditions and your circumstances. And guess what? It's not taken him by surprise. He's not surprised. He's He's not even upset when we doubt that we can't get up. He's not upset at the questions we ask him. He's not surprised, but yet he has the power over your present conditions and your circumstances. And to him, yes, it's that easy. You just get up. Guess what? Story goes on. Ha! It works! No kidding, it's crazy. Like the guy just gets up. I wish that the Bible would give us just a little bit more color, a little bit more details to how this might've happened. I don't know if it was like, all of a sudden he got like the little tinglies in his leg and he just shot up. Or if like, maybe the words of Jesus, he just says, get up. And like his legs just like involuntarily start working. And he's like, I can move, this is great. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was just the fact that the words of Jesus were just so compelling and so kind that he's like, I have to try this. I don't know what it was. All we know is in an instant, this guy gets up, boom, end scene, he's gone. That's it. It's like he just takes off and that's it. They're like, cut, that's it, we're good, thank you here, thank you, Jesus, all right, bye. He's gone. He takes off running and, uh, you know, the pastors and the priests of this day, they're a little upset. They're like, hey, man, it's the Sabbath, you can't be healed on the Sabbath, all right, it's like, are we really that religious? Yes. And he's like, hey, you know, you, you can't be healed. Maybe Monday can be your day to be healed. But like right now, it's the Sabbath. You can't do that. And, and he goes on and they say, hey, who, who told you you could be healed today? I'm just curious. They're like, um, what do you mean? He's like, I didn't really get his name. I didn't really care. He just told me that my legs could work. And I was like, okay, that's it. See ya. Gone like, I, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't catch his name. He just, he just healed me and that was pretty much it and that was, that was awesome and I'm, I'm good with that. I, I didn't get his name. Verse 14, if you're following along in the story and I encourage you, maybe if you're going with this here, is that there is a, a statement that I think is probably more important than perhaps we actually realize when we read this story. It's profound. It says that Jesus found the man. In fact, if you're taking notes or you're writing anything down, circle the word found or write that down. Found the man. He didn't just happen to to bump shoulders or to meet him in the supermarket. No, this was an intentional encounter. He, he found the man. In fact, Jesus took time out of what we now know as a pretty busy schedule, saving the world and beginning a global movement, that will pretty much revolutionize mankind forever, he took time out of his schedule to go back and find this man. This man who we know is pretty much a non-A-lister, no name, nobody, doesn't even become a disciple for all we know. He takes time out of this movement that he's doing and he goes back and he finds this man. Yes, Jesus double back, does a little double back after already doing an amazing miracle in this human's physical life to tell him and to give him a message. Jesus says, hey, I want to I talk to you. I see that you're, you're healed. Yeah, I am. Thanks. Thanks so much for that. That's really good. I want you to make sure that you sin no more unless something worse happens to you. I just got to say, as readers and as Christians, we do a really, really bad job when we read things like this. Really bad job. I mean, what do you think Jesus is saying? I mean, do you think that he's, he's saying that, uh, hey, now that I've, I've healed your body, don't you dare go back to sinning or I'm going to make this paralysis look like a joke. I mean, does that sound like Jesus? Where do we get these notions Like Jesus wants to totally physically heal this man and then emotionally haunt him for the rest of his life with this statement. No, that's not it at all. We have to look at the entire body of work of Jesus to understand what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, your situation is tough and I'm glad I could help you out. But if you think that was rough, you can't even begin to understand what life separated for an eternity from God will look like. And I want to make sure that you are in, co- in, in contact with the Heavenly Father. This is care. This isn't a scare tactic. This is Jesus caring so much about this person that he doubles back just to make sure that he delivers this message to him. You want to know what this second encounter says to me? Is that Jesus cares so much more about his work on the inside of you than the outside. It tells me that he is so much more concerned about your purpose than your posture in life. So much more concerned about your eternal plan than your physical position. You think that I came to just heal your spine and to make your legs work? Jesus, I came to give you eternal life. He went and he found this man. Some of you today, Jesus is knocking at your door and he has found you. He knows who you are. He knows what your life has looked like for the last 38 years. And he's ready to just encounter and step into this this messy life, this messy world that we live in and change your life forever. I'm gonna close with this statement here. I love at the end of this story, the man goes back and he finds the Jews. We don't know how many, it just says he found them. All right, let's just say it's a lot of them. He finds the Jews and he tells them this, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. I wonder if at the end of your career, if in the middle of your career, if people were to ask you, hey, how'd you do it? How'd you find success? How'd you find such a great job? How'd you find happiness? How is your marriage always so great? How do you have all these great relationships and these great friends? How do you have all these opportunities? How is your life so drastically different than mine? Would you be able to summarize your life statement into those three words? It is Jesus. I'm sure if we could have encountered this man before his interaction with Jesus, he would have told us that any success, any improvement, any progress that he made was under his strength. He's done everything he possibly can. Then he encounters the God-man, and the God-man changes his life forever. And he summarizes his entire life into the statement, it was Jesus. You can spend every day competing, every day comparing, striving or stressing to get to the top, to make your life well. Or you can embrace the fact that right now, in this moment, there's a Jesus who wants to desperately encounter you right where you are. He's not afraid to step into your messy life, He's not afraid to step into your situation or your circumstances. But he's ready. The Bible tells us that he has come for each and every one of us. So I'd say if you are feeling burned out, if you're running low, then you just need to lean into Jesus this morning. And maybe just have enough physical strength, pray for enough physical strength that you can actually get up and act on what he's asking you to do. To seek him before you seek anything else. And to lean into Jesus, whose love, I believe, will forever change your life. Can I pray for you guys this morning? If every head could be bowed and every eyes closed, just in a moment of privacy here. I'm just, I'm wondering if this morning, if just by a show of hands, you would, you would boldly say, you know what, there are some areas in my life that I could really use Jesus just to show up in a powerful way. If that's you, could you just boldly just lift your hands so I could just see? You're saying, you know what? There are some areas in my life that I really need Jesus to show up in a powerful way this morning. Go ahead, raise it with confidence. This is between you and God. All right, you put your hands down. Thank you so much. God, I pray for each and every one of these people right now. God, we need a a situation like the pool at Bethesda, where we have just tried so much on our own to make life right, to feel well. And we need you to just encounter us right now, to step in into a bold way, to change our life. God, I pray that your voice will be clear, that it will speak clarity into our lives. And that when we do hear your words, Lord, that we will have enough physical strength and enough faith to just get up and act on what you tell us to do. God, I pray that throughout this week, before we seek natural resource or the, the, the options or the solutions that the world presents itself to us, not all bad, but I pray, God, that before we do that, that we will just seek you. We will seek your voice and your words. Help us to live more like you each and every day. In your name, amen. Thank you, guys.